Hello, everyone. This is Sherry Wright. Welcome to Access to Healthcare's weekly podcast, where we bring you local and national guests on topics of interest to you and your family. We've heard quite a bit lately concerning suicide in the state of Nevada, that we have the most suicides of any state, that Clark County schools are going to reopen their schools because of an increase in youth suicide. So today we are going to find out the facts and what we all can do to change the direction of suicide in our state of Nevada. My guests today are Misty Allen, Suicide Prevention Coordinator for the state of Nevada, and Cheryl Lynn Wood, Statewide Zero Suicide Project Coordinator. Welcome, ladies. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Well, Misty, you've uh, you've been on my podcast um, before, and you and I have known each other for years. Let me ask you yes. a couple of questions that I've always been curious about, Misty. You've been involved in the prevention of suicide in Nevada for decades. I don't mean to, to out us <laughs> on age, but I know that you have. Um, how have things changed for the better or the worse in the state of Nevada in these last few decades? That's a really great question, Sherry, and I, I am proud of um, my endurance. I, I started with the crisis call center hotline in the late 90s. And suicide prevention really captured my heart. And even then, uh, the hotline, which is now called Crisis Support Services of Nevada, was kind of the only thing available focused on suicide prevention. So we were responsible for the crisis, the training, um, outreach. And in those days, we had to pound on doors to get someone to, to come and listen to us and do trainings. I will say right now, and sadly because of demand, but I think also because of increased awareness and mental health literacy, more and more people want to play a role in mental health, wellness, and suicide prevention. So I'd say that's one of the biggest changes. And when you have policy changes such as mandating um, continuing education credits and continuing medical credits for suicide prevention, you also bring in a wider core of trainers and experts, but subject matter experts. So I think that's been an incredible shift. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, when we're talking about how things have um, gotten better, so to speak, but over the last couple of decades, has our suicide rate increased? It's a very complex question. When, when I began in the 90s, we had the highest rate in the nation and always had. I think about 2001, we started moving out of that position and twice in all of these 15 years, we have moved out of the top 10 highest rates to 11. But we're right back in there uh, with 2019's latest data, we are seventh highest in the nation. But the, the challenge with that is for the first time in 15 years, the national rate has decreased. It has been going up in a tra- trajectory where Nevada has stayed the same or even decreased by 1%. I will, I will do the disclaimer that we've always had the highest rates, so that, that's not saying much. Um, but they are saying that we have to look at this new data with caution because while suicide rates might have decreased by 2%, opioid overdose deaths increased. And sometimes those deaths are very difficult to distinguish between intentional or unintentional. So, so technically, Nevada's numbers have dropped. The rate has dropped but we're still one of the highest in the nation, so so much more work to do. So let me ask you, Misty, because, again, that goes back to the 
couple of decades that you've been dealing with this subject matter and been so involved. How do you keep sort of your hope and your balance on this? This is a very devastating topic. It it really is, but I truly believe suicide is about life preservation and life promotion. I know from all of these decades of experience and, you know, working with people with lived experience firsthand, it's really not about wanting to end one's life most of the time. Um, it's, it's wanting to end pain. It's, it's wanting to live life without these challenges and struggles. And sometimes people are mm-hmm. so overwhelmed, they, they don't know how. And so I, I see the hope in that. I know recovery is possible. And so that gives me strength to, to keep building the prevention efforts, make them better and stronger. So, so it's, it's never stagnant, and I think that gives me hope. So with that premise in mind, um, then preventative is really partly the key to it. It's being able to assess somebody before they're suicidal and getting them the help that they need. Absolutely. And I would say I had a very wise person many years ago uh, mention attachment is inoculation for suicide. And so when you think about prevention, you're, you're going way, way back. You know, the earlier the better because life experiences, disparities in health and um, housing and basic needs and healthcare impact mental health, mental wellness, and suicide risk. And so if we as a community can, can go way back to those upstream measures, that's an exciting and important opportunity for prevention. Yes, no kidding. Let's, um, let's go over those stats again. When we're talking about how Nevada ranks nationally, can you break it down for us in suicide with teens, say seniors, men and women, and where we're at with, um, with those statistics? I can for most. So because we just got the 2019 data, some of the numbers I'm going to share with you are 2018 because we haven't had an opportunity to drill down. But for 2019, um, as, as I mentioned, our rate dropped. Uh, our rate dropped and our numbers dropped, although our ranking also dropped. So it is the second leading cause of death for ages 20 to 49, and the leading cause of death for ages 12 to 19, which is really mm. frightening for our youth. Our veterans wow. have. Yeah, it's it's shocking. Um, but as a as a ranking, I will tell you, I know you mentioned people talk about Nevada having some of the worst rates in the nation. As a ranking, for ages 12 to 17, we are ranked 23rd. For ages 15 to 24, we were ranked 17th. Um, so some of our prevention efforts, because the, the schools, the districts are doing so much work in school-based mental health and suicide prevention, it does impact those rates. Young people are still struggling, but I also think there's an awareness and a recognition and also more connection to resources like mobile crisis and other help. So I think that's the area we've done better in as far as rates go. Our elders Mm -hmm. currently have the second highest rate in the nation. And we have always had a horrible elder rate being first or second. And the challenge there is uh, the resources to really focus on comprehensive suicide prevention just haven't been given out. So, mm-hmm. you know, one of, one of the ways, and that I would love to bring Sherilyn at this moment, one of the ways to combat that lack of resources was to go to where the elders are going, which is healthcare. Multiple types of healthcare providers 
see our elders often, multiple times a week or a month. And so the Zero Suicide Initiative really gets in there to tackle the healthcare system and make sure our healthcare providers, our nurses, um, emergency room docs, have the skills to, to recognize and screen uh, and connect to resources. So that was one way we tried to tackle this challenge in Nevada. Well, uh, Cheryl, talk, talk with us about the Zero Suicide Program. I know that, that you're coordinating that throughout the state. Can you tell us a little bit about that, what it is? Sure, I can, absolutely. Um, Zero Suicide Program is really a strategic framework for uh, suicide prevention. Um, there's um, fundamental elements that create this uh, framework uh, that really start with that leadership buy-in. Um, and it really, the goal of it really at the end of it is one, to have um, one, a quality-driven suicide prevention program, and two, to really develop our competent, competent workforce no matter where they work within that hospital or that um, behavioral health system or our partners, our community partners that are implementing zero suicide. I love that there's a range of, of uh, partners implemented. We have some large hospitals, we have smaller hospitals in our rural areas, and then we have uh, in, uh, outpatient clinics that are um, implementing zero suicide too. But it really is that buy-in from that leadership to that buy-in from that leadership to shift suicide prevention in the organization on multiple level, levels and ideologies. Um, and it's staff-wide. Um, and so really it's, it's, it's taking your staff and training them on the signs of suicide and identifying um, people that could be at risk for suicide. You know, there are first, uh, sometimes our, our people sitting at the front desk are the first to see somebody come into a hospital. It could even be that valet person that parks the car for them if they happen to have a car. Um, so it's really working staff-wide. Um, and then, um, like I said, learning to identify those at risk, really engaging them in comprehensive um, uh, suicide treatments and modalities um, at, with that uh, person-centered treatment. Uh, you know, no, no treatment is alike. Um, and then engaging them in that, in that safety plan, in um, really creating a plan so that when they leave that, uh, that uh, organization that's implementing um, zero suicide, they have um, a little roadmap uh, that can help them. And then it's getting the correct treatment. Um, we've been working really hard with um, the teams that are implementing zero suicide, not to mention a lot of organization and partners um, outside, also on training them on um, modalities um, that really are specific assessment, assessment treatment therapies focused on suicidality. And then that transition part's really huge. So that's, you know, when they're ready to leave your hands and you're passing them on to somebody else's hand, that guest feels like they're treated special and that there's a really good communication uh, level there. And then of course, like I said, it really is that improvement part. Um, for the proof of sustainability, the fidelity to it. I mean, the pieces and the tasks are so big. Um, I will say the great thing about um, Zero Suicide, it really starts with the buy-in and then it's creating that leadership team that creates the plan to implement zero suicide. So there's always that record of, you know, are we implementing correctly? That data is being taken. Um, when I first started, I did a workforce survey that really showed and targeted that, that Nevada's um, workforce really isn't um, competent and confident when it comes to suicide prevention. A lot of them didn't even know what their suicide prevention policies were within their organization. So it's creating those policies that become um, organizational-wide so everybody knows what their role is when it comes to suicide prevention. Um, I could talk forever about zero suicide. So you have doing, questions. Yeah, you're doing this for both the hospitals and the physician offices? Uh, not physician offices, um, no. Um, that is a goal of mine, um, aspirational goal of, of ours, I should say. Uh, but right now it's really behavioral um, 
behavioral health systems, uh, large hospitals, um, outpatient clinics, uh, small partners like Alta Vista Rural Clinics, Carson City um, Counseling, uh, things like that, that really see the patients. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of wrapping my head about that around it. And the physician's offices, when Misty said a few minutes ago that, for instance, the seniors and their statistic and how troubling that is, and that seniors do see their providers quite a bit. I know because we transport them to our transportation department. Um, they see their primary care doc or they see a specialist. And so down the road, you're looking at doing providers' offices because they really interact with those seniors a great deal. Absolutely. It, um, it's, it's, a, it's, one, it's, it's our office trying to put this together, and it really is a long period of implementation. So these teams went through 14 weeks of training um, to implement this, um, you know, program into their organization. So I would love to, my reach, I would, I would love everybody to reach out or I could reach out to them. And my, my goal really is that if I could have every provider that touches a human contact, um, whether they're a primary care physician or a pain, um, pain clinic that really deals with chronic pain and things like that, um, I would love to implement um, zero suicide or parts of it into uh, in, into those uh, places. But that is an aspirational Sherry. goal for sure. Charlene, yeah. if I may add, um, the so the Office of Suicide Prevention also has kind of a reach. I work with the School of Medicine on regular trainings that they do for physicians, which might get to those private practitioners. And with the mandated um, CMEs for physicians, they are seeking more training, be it screening assessment, maybe it's bereavement, um, postvention. So they are getting more and more awareness around this issue. Yeah, that's great. Because it, when we look at the 2019 statistics, we haven't even gotten into the pandemic. Nope. <laughs> I mean, that's a, that hit me when you said 2019, Misty. I went, oh, yeah, yeah. but 2020, mm-hmm. <laughs> that was that was this has been quite the year and what is yeah. your anticipation of the statistics for 2020 if you look in your crystal ball well actually because we we've been you know we've been dealing with this challenges in Nevada are not new so we were kind of ready for the mental health challenges knowing what might come down our way with you know the economy yeah. in Nevada and things like that um crises and suicide decrease in the beginning of the pandemic, because you know, when you have this nation worldwide challenge, it's like a natural disaster, people come together and they're fighting for survival and they're really working to support each other as a community. So what went up were, were crises of anxiety and depression because of uncertainty and isolation. But as the pandemic kept going on and that fatigue sets in and, and the economic hardships impact set in, that's when we're seeing a little bit more of an uptick. So I, I can't predict quite yet, but I think 2020 is going to be a little different because of that initial quietness with the pandemic. And I worry about the next several years with economic impact. And, and I will say the mental health strain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So one of the things about the statistics, Misty, that um, I've often wondered is we look at the actual uh, suicides on the statistics. Do we count the suicide attempts? Actually, we are absolutely striving to get that information more timely than we ever have. We can Mm -hmm. get 
syndromic surveillance data, but it doesn't tell the whole story. So we have to be cautious with that, which is kind of seeing what's happening because of billing and um, emergency room data. But you're, you're right. It's the ideation. It's the mental health crises that might not even be about suicide. Right. And then right. the actual attempts. And so before the pandemic started, actually, you might remember we had a crisis of youth suicide in, in Washoe County. And mm-hmm. we were beginning to put together a directive to get immediate information on those attempts, that, that self-harm, um, kind of similar to the opioid overdose reporting. So we didn't want to put strain and stress on the systems already dealing with COVID. So we pulled back on that. But then when Clark County, as you are aware, had a, a spike in youth suicide in, in September, October, we pulled that back out and felt this was an urgent need. So we are, we are developing that directive to get more immediate and accurate data to tell the story. Yeah, the death the statistics don't help us. We want earlier and better because that's what's impacting more families and more communities. Right. right. So you're spot on. Yeah. Can I can well, I add to that part? Oh, oh sorry, sure. Sorry. Go ahead, Cheryl. I was just going to say part of zero suicide is making sure that everybody is screened so that we can start collecting that data. So that when we ask, we know where the ideation and attempt. So it's really a big part is to start collecting, help collect that data by screening everybody. And how will we screen everybody? That's what you're talking about with the clinics and the hospitals and then in the future with the primary care offices? Correct. Everybody should be screening, doing um, mental health and like a depression and a suicide um, specific screener, such as the Columbia or PHQ or ASK, um, just to implement that so that we can start seeing that data in real time. And what about for parents who not necessarily would be screening their child, but how do we get more awareness from for the parents on what it, it might look like if their child is uh, contemplating suicide, or if they're horribly depressed and that could lead to suicide? During the end of the year, we received some CARES funding, some CARES relief funding, and it was focused on mental health literacy and, and youth suicide prevention. And we knew from the data we had seen, some of the issues were information to parents about access to lethal means, also recognizing how to connect with their youth because of the screen time, that isolation. Uh, mm-hmm. there's, never, there's never one cause to suicide, and, and we want to emphasize that. When you see a spike in a community, it, we, we investigate. We want to make sure there's things that aren't linked, but you, you can't assume it is one thing, such as the COVID or isolation. There's usually multiple factors, and so two of the biggest pieces were helping caregivers and parents recognize the signs, how to have a conversation and reach out and just check in, really. You know your young person is on the computer all day. Check in and see how they're coping. Some of their support systems are not accessible, and how are they dealing with that loss? And then reducing access to lethal means, such as firearms and medications, is a huge step for families. They can go home and do it right now. So we got funding for um, medication safe, gun locks, deterra bags, which are um, medication-dissolving bags, and we work with our mobile crisis teams. So if someone goes to the hospital and has an attempt, you want to keep, you know, the family needs to help keep that person safe. And they can access guns and locks to make the home environment safer. So that's a big part of this. I'm so glad, uh, Misty and Cheryl, that we're doing this podcast because um, 
most of the public doesn't realize the depth and the breadth of what uh, you and um, and the state are doing to prevent suicide. I mean, just what you were talking about a second ago about the gun locks and et cetera. I don't think uh, most of us had any idea that that was something that that was being offered or that was really um, a priority. I, I'm so glad you say that because I think that's one of our painful moments. We don't tell our story well. We're, we're, we're over the whole state and at a lifespan, which is challenging and, and with five people <laughs> for the whole staff. And, and so you, you are, you're, you're going across the country or across the state, going to small communities, the different needs, different uh, populations have different needs. And so we aren't good at sharing what is actually happening. And I think when you aren't experiencing crisis, you don't think about this work. Right. It's sadly right. after yeah. a horrible crisis that people yep. go, what's happening? Why isn't anything happening? So I understand and respect that. And we, we are working really hard to, to get the message out. But, but it is so broad. It's, it's challenging. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. I, I, um, I'm assuming that also in everything that you do, that you also see the level of uh, mental health providers that we either have or don't have in the state of Nevada. In other words, access to mental health providers. That has always been a challenge for all the decades I've been working in this field. But I will say the one amazing opportunity COVID, the pandemic has given us, is getting creative with the access to help. We have been training thousands of Nevadans virtually, um, which we never thought we could do for safety purposes. And with that, we're getting access to different people, different groups, different workplaces, which is really exciting. At the same time, those in small communities that might not have great access or have long waits now can seek out help through the telemedicine, which for some right. can be absolutely wonderful. If they don't have transportation, which we know is an issue in our rural, you know well it's an issue in our communities because <laughs> you have transport, um, or they have kids and they can't get childcare. So they can sit at home with their kids Seek the help from someone, maybe, maybe in Nevada, maybe somewhere else. I know Washoe County has Talkspace, which is now open to residents for help, which I think is wonderful. So there's lots of new opportunities <laughs> for support groups that people might never have gotten to that I think is exciting. That is exciting. Cheryl, what, um, because I, when you sent me information on the program, I saw the three goals of suicide prevention. Can you tell us what those are? Um, so, so reducing stigma, culture justice. I think communities becoming empowered and engaged, um, kind of like in a good Samaritan, really learning those signs themselves so they can help communities. And then just bringing people back to a passion for living, I would think would be the three goals of suicide prevention. And how can professionals support your zero suicide program? Um, we've talked about primary care physicians that ultimately you would like to do something with that group. You're doing emergency rooms. Are you doing mental health professionals? What about teachers in the school? Uh, that is MISTI's expertise, and I know they've just received some grants, so I will let MISTI talk about the schools um, and their um, suicide prevention um, programs that are coming up right now. Zero suicide, although it's Parts of it fit. It's it's not really 
built in the sense of having that therapist that does the treatment right there in the sense of if it's a high risk. Um, so Misty can speak to um, the Department of Education. Thank you, Sherilyn. What I must say is Sherilyn has been such a gift to our office in this work. Uh, she really does want to take zero suicide to every community, every place, every level. And I've had to be the mean one and say, not yet. <laughs> it's, it's healthcare. But, but I, think, um, I think we've grown together so beautifully. And it, it is interwoven. You can't keep one without the other, right? Healthcare is going home to the home and the school. And it's all of us. But we just got a grant with um, the Department of Education called Project Aware 2.0. We had Project Aware a few years ago. And its focus is on improving mental health in, in districts. So that tier three level of mental health care. We have wonderful social workers, social workers in some of the schools, and we've, we've trained them. We have laws that mandate training for suicide prevention. And so now it's really pulling it together in a more comprehensive level. And um, learning from districts who have been doing this a long time, not just training anymore, but taking the skills to a different actionable level. And so that might be practicing tabletop exercises and things like that that we've never done before. So it's just the beginning, and it will be a five-year grant with three school districts across the state. And then what we learn will obviously be translated to other districts in the state because um, we, I think it has impacted. Our schools have done some amazing work. And I know, I know they're challenged, especially now, but they continue to show the hope and um, innovation. Um, our schools are amazing was what we have asked them over the last few decades yeah. to take on. And yeah. certainly when you were talking about the statistics, Misty, I was sort of blown away that between the 12 to 19 age group, suicide is the number, number one cause of death. And yet I believe you said we were 23rd in the country, which means that it is yeah. also very high in many, many states and that uh, suicide is looking for that age group as a commonality of way to get out of whatever circumstances or discomfort they're in, that this is a national, obviously a national huge problem. It is. And when you ask what I've noticed changing over the decades, I think that is an uncomfortable shift I have seen. I have a 21-year-old and an 18-year-old, and they share with me talking about suicide is so commonplace. And hmm. we, we as adults, especially me, I've had to learn, don't, don't react every time. We have to hear them, mm -hmm. listen why, and not react because that's not going to help them. We, we need to say, okay, why are you talking about suicide like this? Tell me what's going on. Mm -hmm. And build that connection of listening to some difficult things they really want to be seen and heard. Yes, and the same, um, a little bit different with the seniors. When you said that we were number one on senior suicide, that has a little bit different flavor to it. I would imagine a lot of that does have to do with isolation and loneliness in a senior. I think you're right. And I, I know the community had a wonderful grant that kicked in just as COVID hit, and it was about building connection, which is heartbreaking because COVID disrupted the vision. Um, really mm -hmm. building caring communities, uh, people, natural community resources that make a difference. We don't always need to go to the healthcare system or the physician. 
if we're being kind and paying attention and being supportive to each other, that can go a long way. And I think, I think we're not going to let that vision go. We just have to wait till this is over. Um, but connecting, virtually connecting by phone, connecting by handwritten notes can really give someone hope. Well, sure, and our senior centers have all been closed, and that's been a real, mm-hmm. um, a very, very unfortunate. And uh, Access to Healthcare is so involved in the senior centers, and it's been a common, a common place for many seniors to go, and certainly to have meals, but also to have some sort of social interaction. We did a podcast earlier this morning on social isolation um, and loneliness and depression. And we did it about youth, and we're going to do another one on seniors, and certainly that all ties into it. This last year has been uh, very difficult for seniors and their isolation, very difficult. I would really look forward to hearing what you are listening to with those podcasts. I I don't think we can listen Mm -hmm. enough to what they're experiencing. That would be really valuable. What what are we asking of of the public, of society, to help eradicate this? This problem that um, I'm sure sometimes feels like you're just treading water, though you've told us that you're making some headway. Certainly you're making it with um, Cheryl Lynn and the Zero Suicide Program. But I can't imagine that it doesn't feel like you're still rolling a huge boulder uphill, Misty. It is. And I know Cheryl Lynn has some thoughts, but I'll throw mine out really quickly. I, I really believe, and I think nationally it's been shown, we tend to put suicide in this mental health box. And absolutely, mental health, depression has a piece of this. But what erodes our mental wellness? The day-to-day life stressors, our environment. How do we improve that Maslow's hierarchy of the basic needs, that level one of safety, security, until we have economic equity, survival, housing security, food security, um, healthcare access, as you know, it's going to be a challenge because then when people lose their jobs or have a substance use concern or, or the number one triggering event for people, relationship challenge, be it, mm-hmm. be it a romantic relationship, a parent-child, or, you know, youth to youth, those relationships are the leading triggering event for a suicide crisis. And so it's it's really developing those relationships, I, I think, kindness and building that safety and safety net, I would say. Mm-hmm. Sherilyn, Sherilyn, please add your, your wisdom. Um, so going back to those um, goals of the public health crisis of suicide prevention and just really focusing on those risk factors, as Misty said, those risk factors don't always have to focus on mental health, although we are finding that people are, are falling into depression um, much more um, often nowadays that probably never saw depression before due to COVID. You know, when you um, ask somebody uh, to categorize this, the risk and things like that, because of COVID, our, our life really has shifted in such a way, um, really teaching people and really understanding um, those early signs of distress um, for whether it's a mental health crisis or a, a cultural pro- uh, issue or whatever kind of um, anything you may be dealing with, like as Misty was saying, those Maslow's hierarchy to have food, water, shelter, um, and really knowing what those effective steps are um, and and knowing how to find those, having those resources, uh, being able to um, locate those. 
um, I think are really important. Well, valuable information, ladies. Um, Misty, I want to thank you for your decades of work in suicide prevention. Um, I'm just in awe of your commitment and how long you have been doing this in our community and in our state. And Sherilyn, it's been a privilege having you on this program to talk about your Zero Suicide Project and what you're doing. I want to thank you both for your commitment to a topic that is hard to talk about and but so essential for us to discuss um, on a routine basis. So hopefully we can have you back again sometime in 2021 to talk about maybe um, how things are going, how the Zero Suicide Project is going in our communities, and have another discussion on this valuable topic. Thank you for being a guest today. Thank you so much, Sherry. It's always a pleasure to be with you. And I would welcome the opportunity to share some resources. Would you prefer that verbally or online? No, go right ahead. I think that's great. Okay. Anyone listening to this, if you are worried about friend, yourself, a loved one, please know that there's a 24-7 suicide prevention lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or crisis text, text CONNECT to 741-741. And one last wonderful resource, we have Resilience Ambassadors. If COVID is challenging you, um, Nevada 211 has incredible support. So please know that there's help available and you're not alone. Thank you, Misty. Today we've been talking about the suicide rate in Nevada. My guests have been Misty Allen, Suicide Prevention Coordinator for the state of Nevada, and Cheryl Linwood, Statewide Zero Suicide Project Coordinator. Thank you all for listening. I know that you will take this subject to heart and do what you can for the people in your lives and the people in our community. Please stay safe, wear your mask, and please consider getting the vaccine. 